William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. And he was stirred by the needs of the people that he saw around him in the city of London. People that most people termed as the undesirables. It was those that were the addicts, those that were the drunkards, those that were the prostitutes, those that were the poor. And he saw that most churches in the city weren't doing anything to try and to reach these people. And so he set out to reach them with what he called the three S's. Soup, soap, and salvation. Uh, and he began to try and to minister to them in what we know as the Salvation Army. And thousands of people came to know Christ as a result of the ministry that he began in the city of London. But when Booth was in his 80s, he began to experience blindness. And uh, at one point, it, his sight left him and then returned. And then he later lost his vision permanently. And his son came to give him the news that he had lost his sight and that it would not return again. And William Booth replied, I've done what I could do for God and the people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can do for God and the people without my eyes. Today, I want us to focus not on what we can do and see with our eyes, but what we can do and see with God's eyes. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews on Sunday mornings. Our sermon series is called A Better Hope, and today we come to Hebrews chapter 11. It's probably the most famous chapter in the book of Hebrews. It's called the Hall of Faith, and, and the author lists all these various heroes of the Old Testament as examples of faith in God. And today we're going to see the challenge to have a better faith, to focus not on what we can do with our eyes, but what we can do with God's eyes. So if you have your Bibles this morning, I ask you to stand in honor of God's word. If you are able, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I want to read to you from verses 13 through 16. The word of God says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Thank you. You may be seated. As we think about this passage today, this, we're going to walk all the way through the chapter of chapter 11 today. The action step for us as we try to take this word that, that God gave us hundreds of years ago and applied into our lives today in 2022, the action step for us today is to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight. And we're going to talk about faith today. And there are three words that I want us to, to think about that really encompass this idea of faith. And they are belief and action and perseverance. Belief and action and perseverance. And so as we consider our faith this morning, I want us to begin by thinking about belief. The author of Hebrews makes this masterful argument as he moves into chapter 11. 
Because at the end of chapter 10, as we concluded our sermon last week, he was urging his audience to stand firm and to not fall away, to not shrink back. He's calling for them now to exercise their faith in Christ. And he shows them how all of their forebears had done that exact thing. He gives them examples of how they had exercised their faith even when they didn't see what God was doing. So in verse 1, we get what's often called the, the definition of faith. Faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. It's the reality of what we're hoping for, the proof of what we don't see. And faith is the common denominator here between all of the examples that are given. And it's the common denominator between them and us. Faith is about belief. It's about trust. It's about having a conviction of things that you don't even see with your eyes. One commentator writes, in faith, things hoped for become realized. Now, I want us to be clear that your faith is not what makes the hope a reality. That's the fallacy of the health and wealth and the name it and claim it gospels, where you, where you, you save something and it has to come to pass. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you well because I said it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rich because I asked for it. That's not what he's talking about here in faith. The object of our faith is what is sure, and so you have faith in this object and assurance because of that. And so the object of our faith is Christ, and Christ is sure. Christ is certain. Christ will not be moved. Therefore, because he is the object of our faith, our faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. It is the proof of what's not seen. And so as he gives us some examples from the Old Testament of people who walked by faith, one of the examples he gives us is of Abraham. In verse 8, he says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. So this, this act of faith by Abraham was a tremendous act of faith. He's, he's referencing a story from the Old Testament in the book of Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, this is the call of Abram. The Lord says to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. So here he is leaving his country. Here he is leaving his relatives. Here he is leaving his childhood home. And he's heading to a land that he doesn't know at all. In fact, it's a land that God says, I will show you. 
And so it's not like God sent him a text message with photos and floor plans to get him really excited about moving. God just called for him to go. And what's amazing is that Abraham went. He obeyed God. In chapter 4 of Genesis 12, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And that's where the faith of Abraham is so evident. I mean, that's where anyone's faith is so evident. We recognize our faith by our works. That's where the rubber meets the road. And it's not like Abraham didn't have anything to lose here. In Genesis 12, 4, it tells us that he was 75 years old. In Genesis 12, 5, it tells us that his wife, his nephew went with him. He had all the possessions that he had accumulated. He had a life. He had friends. He lived another 100 years past this, so this is sort of like midlife for him. He's not like he was just, you know, threw everything in the back of his, of his bicycle and rode down the road. I mean, he had a lot to lose here. And in verse 9 of our passage, it says, By faith he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. So he heard the voice of God, and he believed it. He heard the call of God upon his life, and he believed it. He didn't know where he was going, but he trusted in God who did know. He didn't know how all the plans would unfold, but he trusted in God who did know. And God is still looking for a faith like that today. He's looking for a faith like that from you today. That we would trust him even when we don't know. We would trust him even when we don't see. The author Beth Moore says, Faith is the only thing that will ever close the gap between our theology and our reality. So what is it that God is telling you that you need to believe him for today? What is it that God has been speaking into your heart, whether as you're reading your quiet time, as you're praying to him, something that he is speaking to you that you need to believe him today? Because faith is about belief. But the second thing that I want us to notice as we go through chapter 11 is that faith is about action. Faith is active. It's not sedentary. One must believe, one must trust, and one must exercise their faith. Even as you look at verse 1, this definition of faith The sentence structure of the verse in the Greek language reveals this to us. In the Greek, the sentence begins with the word is, highlighting its importance in the verse. In, In the Greek language, they would put the word that's the most important at the beginning of the sentence, so you would focus on it. So when you read it in the in the Greek language, it literally says, is now faith. Instead of now faith is. It says, is now faith. Faith, And so the fact that it is, that the fact of its being shows us that faith is active, that it's exercised, that it's lived out, that it's put into practice. And so our action, our, our good works flow out of our faith. William Gurnall wrote that we must come to good works by faith and not to faith 
by good works. And so we come to action, we come to good works, we come to good deeds by our faith. Our faith is worked out. And we come to action. And you see this in some of the examples that the author of Hebrews gives us in chapter 11. By faith, they did something. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, here we go in verse 4, Abel offered. Abel offered. Because Abel believed God, he brought him an offering that was pleasing to God. And that, that was because he had faith and believed in the promise of God. The promise that God had given his family back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. When he pronounced the curse upon sin. And he said to the serpent, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. That was the first mention of the gospel in the scriptures. Where God was speaking to the serpent and pronounced his fate upon him. That there would be one who is coming, the anointed one of God, that would come from the seed of the woman, that would crush Satan. That would crush everything that that snake had tried to destroy. And he says to him, you'll, you'll bruise him on the hill, but he is going to bruise you on your head. You're not going to destroy him. I'm going to raise him up on the third day victorious over you. And the promise of God that he had given to Abel's mom and dad is played out throughout the pages of Scripture. Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 tells us, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that when she did give birth it might devour her child. Satan was trying to bruise the heel of the anointed one. He wanted to destroy the Christ child, but he was unsuccessful. And when we read through the Gospels, Christ is the one who's destroying the works of the devil all over the place. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's performing miracles. He's teaching the word of God. He's announcing the kingdom. He's setting the captives free from the dominion of this snake. And the evil one threw everything he had at Christ. And this anointed one was taken. And he was beaten, and he was arrested, and he was spit upon, he was mocked, he was crucified, dead. But that was just Satan bruising his heel, because God raised Christ up on the third day, and when Jesus walked out of that tomb, he crushed the head of the ancient serpent, and all of us who place our faith in Christ join him in his victory. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, the Bible says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. That we will join Christ in this victory. That's the faith of Abel. He's worshiping God. He's offering a sacrifice that's pleasing to God because he believed God. His generation was the first to begin life separated from God. He never knew what it was like to have fellowship with God like his mom and dad had in the Garden of Eden. But I'm sure they told him about it. They said, let me tell you, we walked with God in the cool of the evening. We, we were naked and felt no shame. We had this 
relationship, this fellowship with God, and we blew it. And Abel desired that kind of relationship with God. But God had promised them that the effects of sin would be righted, that the anointed one would come and destroy the work that the serpent had done. And Abel believed God. And his faith in God's anointed one is counted to him as righteousness. His faith in Christ saves him. And he acted upon that faith, worshiping, serving God with the very best that he had to give. By faith, Abel did something. So what is it that God is calling you to do in his kingdom by faith? It may be something that's been stirring in your heart for days, weeks, maybe for years. But you've been too afraid to do it. Too afraid to step out. Too afraid to answer. Too afraid to follow. What is it that God is calling you to do in the kingdom by faith? But as we think about faith, it's about belief, it's about action, but we also see in Hebrews 11 that it's about perseverance. Verse 13 that we read earlier says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Here he begins to talk about those that were Still looking for this promised Messiah, even on their deathbeds. But they never gave up. They persevered in their faith, even when they did not see. As you get to the end of chapter 11, the tone changes. The faithful are known by what they endured because of their faith. If you look in chapter 11, beginning in verse 35, It says, women received their dead, raised to life again. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword, they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Now this is interesting, because we have to remember the overall purpose of this chapter is what? To instill faith. That's how he begins in verse 1. This is what faith is. And he's trying to instill faith in them. Back at the end of chapter 10, verse 39, he says, We're not those that draw back and are destroyed. We are those who have faith. Those who are saved. And so the author is inspiring his hearers to have faith in God. Well, this is sort of an interesting way to do it. He's like, if you have faith, then you can join these guys. If you have faith, you can be just like them. Well, that would cause a lot of us to sort of pause for a minute, right? I'm not sure if I want to express faith in Christ. I'm not sure if I want anything to do with this. If this is the result of it. 
But what the author of Hebrews is doing is, is masterful because they were already experiencing these sorts of trials. Remember back in chapter 10, verse 32, he says, Remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions. At other times, you were companions of those who were treated that way. You sympathized with the prisoners, accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you knew that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So what is he doing? He's comforting them in this. He's letting them know that they're not alone in their suffering. That they are standing in a long line of faithful and godly men and women who have suffered for Christ as well. And if they're thinking about going back to Judaism, these are their heroes. These are the ones that are lifted up as examples. And they weren't examples because of their works. They were heroes because they walked by faith. All through chapter 11, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, everybody that they looked up to by faith. He says, look at what they endured because of their faith. But unfortunately, sometimes we deny Christ. We remain silent at a lot less threats. Here in the U.S., we don't really face physical torture. We don't face death. We're not being sawed in two or, or wandering in deserts and holes in the ground. We have brothers and sisters around the world who are. But we don't really deal with that in this country. We face someone saying that you're simple-minded. We face someone laughing at you. We face someone shunning you in a conversation. These are hardly difficult persecutions. But they're enough to silence a lot of Christians. That's not the sort of faith that the author of Hebrews is heralding. Some sort of flimsy, weak, fearful faith that's folding at the first sign of hardship and difficulty. No, he's talking about a faith that trusts in God no matter the circumstances. A faith that has a conviction of things that they don't see. Do we have that sort of faith? Because these faithful men and women... Many who at the end of the chapter are even nameless had their faith and trust in Christ. Their hope was in nothing of this world. I mean, why would they suffer these atrocities otherwise? If, if their hope was for their best life now, then you should avoid suffering at all costs. If you're looking for an earthly reward, they're not getting it. The world's rejecting them. The world's casting them out. The world's martyring them. Come to verse 39 and 40. It says, all of these were approved through their faith. But they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, so that they would not be made perfect without us. He says, this is why they're mentioned. Why they were willing to suffer these horrendous persecutions is because they believed in the word of God, because they trusted in the promise of God, and they believed that Jesus was worth it. 
They believed that Jesus wouldn't forsake them, but that he would save them. They believed that if you have faith in Christ, even if you die, yet you will live. They believed that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. They believed that to live is Christ and to die is gain. They believed that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all of our fears are gone. And I know who holds the future. And my life is worth living just because he is alive. So they had this faith and and they believed. They had this faith and they, they acted. They had this faith and they persevered. And they walked by faith, not by sight. William Booth said, I've done what I could do with my eyes for all these years. Let's see what I can do for God without my eyes. And this morning, what I want you to focus on is not what you can do with your eyes, but what you can see and do with God's eyes. So Christians, this morning, as we take this word and put it into our hearts, the action step is to walk by faith, to not walk by sight. And we said, what is it that God has put in your heart that you, that you need to believe him for? What is it, God, that God has put into your heart that you need to act upon? Are you willing to have this faith that's going to persevere under hardship and under difficulties and under trials and under temptations? Are we going to walk by faith? Or are we only going to do what we can see? Maybe that's for you joining an E-team. Maybe that's for you going on a mission trip. Maybe that's for you teaching a class. Maybe that's for you is answering a call to missions in your heart. Maybe that for you is, is doing a daily quiet time. Maybe that for you is sharing the gospel with someone that God's been putting on your heart for some time. It could be any number of things. But are you going to walk by faith and not by sight? In a minute, we're going to have a time of response. There's going to be leaders here at the front as we stand and sing. And perhaps there's things that you want to pray about here at this altar or even there at your seat. I want to encourage you today to take that step. Give these things to the Lord and say, I'm going to walk by faith today as I follow after you, Lord. There may be others here this morning who need to trust in Jesus for salvation. And today is the day that the Lord is at work in your heart and he's calling you to take that first step of faith. To place your faith in Jesus as the son of God who died on the cross to pay the price for your sin. Who rose from the dead on the third day so that you could be forgiven and that you could have uh, life that's abundant and life that's eternal. That you could have fellowship with God. And maybe that's where you are right now, is to take that very first step of faith. These leaders that are here across the front are there to talk with you and to pray with you. We want to encourage you to come and to say, I want to make this step today to follow after Jesus by faith. If you're watching with us online, you can text the word DECIDE to 865-234-3241. And that will let us know that this is a decision that you want to make. But however God is at work in your heart today... Now's the time that we'd be doers of this word and not just hearers only. Let's stand with every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, we thank you today for your word.
and for the challenge that you have given us today in your word to walk by faith and not by sight. And Lord, we confess that oftentimes we just do what we think we can do. We do what we can see that we can do. Lord, we seldom walk out onto the water. Lord, we seldom step out by faith into the unknown to go to a land that you'll show us. So Lord, I pray that we would be a faith-filled people. God, that today that we would have a faith that believes, a faith that acts, a faith that perseveres. God, that you would move in our hearts today to step out and to follow after you. God, for those that need to make that decision in their heart today to trust in Jesus as their Savior, I ask that you would that you would work in their heart even right now for them to come and to say, Lord, I'm ready to follow after you. Forgive me of my sin. I want you to save me and forgive me. Lord, we pray that you would move here in this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen.